Our Bible reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. And it's entitled, Jesus Feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much in bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Noel. And uh, can I just add to... Uh, Noel's welcome, my welcome this morning as well. It's so good to see each and every one of you. And a special welcome to you today if you're visiting either here in person or online. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would open our hearts uh, to your word and your word to our hearts. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the course of the summer holidays, one of the things that our family did on our staycation was to watch the television series together, The Chosen. I don't know if you've seen The Chosen. Uh, anyone out there seen The Chosen before? Uh, well, it, it might be one you want to sort of pick up and, and catch up on. Uh, you can find it on YouTube or by downloading the app and watching it on your favorite mobile device. But essentially, it's a series uh, looking at the person of Jesus Christ through the different characters that encountered him along the way. Uh, and it, it's powerful. It tries to stay faithful to the intent and the meaning of Scripture, but it, it tries, uh, I think, in many ways and many times in a helpful way to sort of fill in a few of the gaps of, uh, uh, in, in a sense of giving us a picture of what it might have been 
for the disciples, what it might have been like for them uh, and for their friends and, and for the various people that, that Jesus encountered along the way. And there's this one moment in season two uh, that's deeply moving. It's deeply sad. It shows this encounter between Jesus and his cousin John the Baptizer uh, as it tries to portray the backstory of what happens uh, in the, the verses that, that come just before our passage here today. And can I invite you to go home and, and read, read those verses? We've sort of skipped over them today, uh, but uh, I invite you to go home and, and read them uh, where we, from where we picked off, uh, left off of last week, uh, picking up starting at verse 14. And it's likely as we look at those verses and, and we think about what's happening there just before our passage today, it's likely uh, that Jesus knew that his cousin, John the baptizer, was, was about to go and, and confront King Herod for breaking God's moral law. And, and so, in, in this scene, in, in The Chosen, uh, it shows how Jesus himself is deeply moved as he's saying goodbye to his cousin, probably for the last time. Uh, he knew that as he was going away uh, to confront King Herod um, for his immorality, that he would never see his cousin again because his cousin would be beheaded. For st- he was going to stand up uh, to, to King Herod for uh, this incestuous relationship that he had entered into with his brother's wife. And, and in these verses just before ours, we find this kind of interlude uh, that, that tells the story about how this wannabe king, Herod, uh, and his scheming wife, Herodias, end up taking John's life in order to maintain their grip on power. Remember that. They were trying to maintain their grip on power. Who was this Herod that's mentioned in those verses just before ours? This is Herod Antipas. He's one of the sons of Herod the Great, whom you'll remember hearing about in the Christmas stories. Herod the Great was the one who, who tried to, to kill all of the innocent little boys in Bethlehem around the time of Jesus' birth in order to try to kill Jesus, in order to get rid of him again, in order to maintain his grip on power. And, and that's the way of the world, isn't it? It's always grasping for power always looking for more. It doesn't care who it steps on in order to move up the ladder and to get up, up the way. It doesn't matter who you step on in order to gain influence or authority or control. And it's important that we see this because as we come to our passage this morning, we discover how Mark sets Jesus and his kingly reign up in stark contrast uh, to the kings of the world and the ways of the world. As we left off last week, we had just heard how Jesus uh, had sent his friends out into the countryside to minister in his name, to heal the sick, to free the the demon-possessed, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And in verse 30, it says the disciples came back and they gathered around Jesus, reporting back to him all that they had done and taught. And I can only imagine the scene. I'm sure you could as well. They're high-fiving each other. They're slapping each other on the backs. Man, did you see it whenever I did 
this and whenever I said that and this happened and, and, and that guy over there, he couldn't walk and now he's walking and dancing and shouting and he's praising God and there was excitement and no doubt they were exhausted by all that they had been doing and so uh, Jesus invites them now to come aside to get some rest. And Mark tells us that they headed off together to this solitary place. They headed off in the boat on the lake to go to this solitary place. But when they got there, um, because seeing where they were headed, uh, there was this crowd that that, that were following and that they wanted to be with Jesus too. They wanted more. And so seeing where they were headed across the the sea, they sort of gauged where they would be and they they ran ahead and, and they they actually had them off at the pass. They, they meet them as they're there coming out of the boat. And, and when Jesus saw this large crowd that had gathered, it says that he had compassion on them. Why? It says that because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And in what follows, we have this story of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish and the feeding of the multitude. We remember the story from Sunday school. So what's going on here? And how is what we see here in these verses meant to contrast so heavily with what King Herod had done only in the previous verses just before ours? Well, I want you for a moment to put aside uh, from, from your mind any picture that you might have had about what happened on the countryside that day. You know, we may be tempted, tempted to think of, uh, of this as being a, a lovely story where uh, everybody was sitting out on the lawn having a, a lovely picnic together. Uh, they had brought their canapes and everything else, and they were just enjoying themselves. That, that's not what's going on here. Uh, when we read that Jesus had compassion on them. And Mark refers to uh, shepherds and sheep. You know, we might be tempted to look here as well and think that, that he's trying to talk about Jesus here as the good shepherd that we read of in Psalm 23 and then John 10. And because of the care that he has for the people, he provides food for them, he feeds them because they're hungry, he cares for them. And all that's true. But I think there's a deeper uh, significance to what's going on here in our passage, which explains why uh, what Jesus does next stands in such stark contrast to what Herod has just done in beheading John in order to keep his grip on power only verses before. When it says that Jesus and his disciples got into the boat, went to this solitary place across the way, their most likely destination was the wilderness area on the other side of the lake. And this was the place where all the zealots hung out. These were the revolutionaries of Jesus' day. These were the Jews who longed for nothing more than to see a violent overthrow of their Roman occupiers and uh, to see the end of the oppression of God's people. And this may help us to make sense of what comes next, because when it says in verse 44 that there were 5,000 men who were blessed by this miracle, it can mean either one of two things. In those days, it would have been common to count family groupings uh, by heads of families, by the men uh, in the family. And so, as uh, Matthew tells us, there were 5,000 men plus women and children there that day as well. But there's another explanation for why just the men are mentioned. 
It's possible that these men were the revolutionaries. These men were the zealots themselves. I mean, how did such a crowd show up so fast? You might have thought of a couple hundred followed them along the way and ran on ahead of them along the seashore, but how did so many show up so fast? Maybe it's because they were already there. And these were the disenfranchised. These were the people who were fed up, who wanted change. These were the people who had been waiting for a leader to rise up and to help them to overthrow the Romans and to lead them to victory and freedom. And it says that Jesus looked on them with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Actually, what's happening here is not so much a reference to Jesus as the Psalm 23 good shepherd, but rather Jesus as the shepherd king that the people now needed. Because this is actually a quote that looks back to what Moses said at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry and leading God's people through the Exodus. He prayed to God just before he died, and the words appear on the screen. Numbers chapter 27, beginning at verse 16. And and Moses prayed to God. He said this, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. The point that Mark is making here is that in contrast to King Herod, who only wanted to keep his grip on power and would step on anyone and and, and kill anyone that stood in his way. Jesus is the king that the people really need. He was the true king that they had been waiting for, but as we're about to see, the way of his kingdom would be so very different, standing in such stark contrast to the kingdoms of the world. Remember the Herods, they just wanted power. They took it. They killed to keep it. But look at what Jesus does. He looks at these people. He sees that uh, what they really need. This is a people, it's back in John's gospel in chapter 6, verse 15. It says they had come out to, to make him king by force. Again, lending weight to this idea that these were the revolutionaries that had gathered before him that day. And he sees them with compassion. What does he do? He starts handing out guns and bullets, doesn't he? No, 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 no. That's not the story. He starts teaching them how to kill. No, no. That's not what Jesus is at. I mean, that's what the kings of the world do. When they want to seize control, when they want to get back their kingdom, isn't it? That's what the zealots were doing out there in the wilderness, They were preparing for war. That's what revolutionaries do in order to overthrow their oppressors. But Jesus now asserts his kingship and begins to mark out his kingdom in a different way altogether. It says at the end of verse 34 uh, that he began teaching them many things. What's happening here? Jesus isn't handing out bullets in order to cause violence and death. He's handing out the word of God that brings life. He's not out to lead a violent revolution. He's out to bring about a revolution of the heart. 
Have you ever wondered why God's Word is so important and why I keep encouraging you to read it every day, to take it to heart, to allow God to speak to you through it by His Holy Spirit? Well, look no further. God's Word, as we're about to see, brings life. In it, we don't just find out how we are to live, but more importantly, these words, here they point us to the one who gives life and sustains life, the one who brings about not just a a temporary freedom from our latest oppressor, which in this case was Rome for these people, but he's the one come to bring ultimate freedom from our greatest foes, sin and death. The Word of God points us to the life giver, Jesus himself. And this is what's happening as the story continues. Jesus, he must have been teaching up a storm because it had now become late. And you see the disciples sort of looking around them. They're getting a bit fidgety. They're wondering what's going to happen next. They were feeling a bit hungry themselves, a bit peckish. And they were thinking, if I'm hungry, then this crowd must be hungry too. It's only a matter of time before they start grumbling. And so the disciples come to Jesus. Jesus um, quiet word, please. And uh, Jesus, um, I, think, I think we should send these, these people away. Let, let them go away and get some food uh, of their own. It, it, I think it's time for them to go. I mean, it's a sensible suggestion here, but it wasn't what Jesus had in mind. It, it also showed just how much the disciples still had to learn, how much they had to grow, how far they had to go. I mean, remember at the beginning of the passage, they had just been rejoicing about all these great things that they had been seeing and doing and a part of. Miracles and people set free and people receiving the good news of the kingdom and suddenly they look out, they see a crowd and they don't know what to do. How are we going to feed them, Jesus? Send them away. Their horizon had been expanding as to what God could do when people looked to him in faith, but now they can't even imagine a way forward than to send these people away to get their own food. But Jesus has something better in mind, uh, and this was going to be the moment when his true heart revolution began. You give them something to eat. What, 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 what's that, Jesus? What, what did you just say? I think I misheard you. Say that again. No, no, you you give them something to eat. What? And in their response, it's sort of like, I don't know, have you seen that movie, the the cult classic movie, The Princess Bride? Great movie, uh, full of lots of gags and and, and great jokes. Uh, Cute as well, but The Princess Bride, there's this character in it, Vicini. You remember Vicini? He's always running around going, Inconceivable! It's inconceivable, you know, and, and it's like these disciples are reacting. They're going, that's inconceivable, Jesus. I, I, I don't understand what you're saying. You feed them, says Jesus. I mean, as the disciples reply, Jesus, it would take more than half a year's wages in order to pay enough money in order to, to get these ones enough food to eat to satisfy their hungry stomachs tonight. And apart from that, even if they had that kind of money sitting around, well, there wasn't just a, a French village bakery around the corner in order to, to go off and pick up enough food for everyone to eat. 
What Jesus was saying was inconceivable. And it's interesting that their response shows just how dreadfully unqualified they were in order to help start this new revolutionary movement. It was proof positive that they still didn't get it. They still had so much to learn, so much to grow, so far to go if they were going to follow Jesus. And truthfully, it brings hope, I think, to each of us here this morning because if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we're just the same. None of us, me included, we haven't arrived. We're all on this journey with Jesus, aren't we? And, you know, some of us have seen Jesus do great things in and through our lives, and, and then something comes up, something happens, and we go, oh, what am I going to do now? How are we going to get through this one? And we freeze up, and we don't know what to do. And it's the same with these, these disciples you know, and maybe you felt that way too, you know, maybe at some point along the way, uh, you know, as, as, as you hear God by His Holy Spirit calling you out into those deeper waters of faith, you know, maybe doubt or questions arise as you see the situation in front of you. Maybe we hear the Holy Spirit whisper uh, just in our ear, go over there and pray for, for that guy. He needs to know he is loved by God his heavenly Father. Or go over there and speak to that woman. She needs to know that she is not alone right now. Or go up and pray for that person because they need to be healed, and I'm going to do that right now. Or we hear the gentle whisper of God's voice calling us to follow and to do something great for his kingdom. We think, who, me? I, I couldn't do that. I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough, Jesus. Or, or I've, I've never done that before. I'm too shy, Jesus. I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough, actually. And we hold back. We think to ourselves, that's inconceivable, Jesus. But Jesus says, just give me what little you've got. Give me what little talents and gifts you've got. Give me what little time you've got. Give me what little money you've got, what little resources you may possess. Give me uh, your inexperience. Give me your lack of training or wisdom. Give me your little faith and just follow me and see what happens. So the disciples, we read, they, 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 they hand over these, these five loaves and these two fish, fish that they found. Uh, and, and then they stood back, over to you, Jesus. Uh, you've, you've got this. It's, it's good. No, Jesus says, over to you. You go get the people to sit down. And look how the people sit down uh, as we read it here. Mark tells us that they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Folks, these are military terms. These are military numbers. These are battalions and companies of soldiers. This is a revolution. That's the kind of language here. These people are looking for a revolution. You want a revolution, Jesus says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he blessed and then he broke the loaves. He blessed and he broke. 
Every revolution has a flashpoint, doesn't it? Every revolution has that moment when everything kicks off, and this is the moment for Jesus. Giving the food to the disciples, they now distribute it out to the people. They all ate. They all were satisfied. There was loads left over. It was a miracle. And just as God provided manna in the wilderness for His people to eat under the leadership of Moses in the Exodus, now one greater than Moses stood before God's people in this new wilderness place. It was Jesus, it was God Himself come to provide true bread for people to eat, heavenly bread. He had given them the words of life. And now with this bread... He was offering them life itself. He was giving them life in word and through his works. Heavenly bread. And the revolution had begun. Not to cause violence in order to overthrow oppression, but to allow violence to happen to himself in order to bring lasting freedom, life in all its fullness. We fast forward to Mark's gospel in chapter 14. Jesus is now sitting in an upper room with his friends, these same friends that were there that day. And gathered around the table, it says in verse 22, as it shows on the screen, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. He took bread, he gave thanks or blessed it, and then he broke it. Same words that he'd used that day in the wilderness as he fed the 5,000. He blessed and then he broke. And as he looked around at his friends that day, he held up the bread and he said, this is me. This is what is about to happen to my body on the cross. This is what has to happen for this revolution of the heart to take place in all of its fullness. I'm not here to cause violence, but to allow violence to be done to me, to my body, so that your greatest enemies, sin and death, could be destroyed so that you could be set free. I'm so uh, indebted to Tim Keller for his thoughts on this passage from which I'm borrowing this morning. And, and here he points out that when it, when it comes uh, to what Jesus is doing with the miracle of the, the bread in our passage today, when it comes to what he then proclaims at the Last Supper, it's as simple as this. And Keller says, if I see a loaf of bread and it stays whole, I can't eat it. And so I starve. I decay. I literally go to pieces. I die. In order for me to be whole and not die, he says, I have to eat the bread. In order for that to happen, the bread has to be broken into pieces. It's me or the bread. Either your piece is the bread or I'm pieces. Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread and what he means by all this. And now looking back at the cross, it's like he says to you this morning, to me. 
He says, I was torn to pieces so that you could be made whole. I went to the cross. I took the penalty that you deserved for what you've done. I absorbed sin. I absorbed your punishment. I absorbed your judgment. If I'd stayed whole, you would have been broken to pieces. But I was broken to pieces so that you could be made whole. And when you see that, when you see that you are saved, not by anything that you could do, but, what, what, but by what Christ has done on the cross for us, you can be adopted by His grace. Praying, Father, accept me because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me. And you can know that He loves you unconditionally, totally, and forever. That's what fills the emptiness on the inside. That's what liberates our fears. That's what liberate you internally forever. That's what brings perfect freedom. That's what brings life. If you come to see Jesus as the bread that you need and receive the life that he offers you through what he did on the cross, it will change how you see the meal that we're about to receive here today as we gather together around the table. Because this is where true power and true grace meet. This is a revolutionary meal. And partaking in it, partaking in Christ to whom it points, it will change you and turn you into a revolutionary as well. Because if you truly understand what Jesus has done for you and you receive him as the true bread, the true life giver that you need, the true bread that really satisfies your soul, it will change your outlook on life. You too will become an, a, a revolutionary, a follower of Christ who now sees uh, that the, the way up in God's kingdom is actually down. Power comes not through violence done to others, but through self-sacrifice that we take onto ourselves for the benefit of others. And, and so you see that the greatest joy is to follow in your Savior's footsteps. And for you, sacrifice becomes part of your life's mission. You've received the sacrifice that Christ has made for you, and, and now you give yourself sacrificially for others to point them to Jesus. And, and this happens in lots of ways, but let me just name a few as, as we close. It, it happens in how you see people. Happens in how you love your enemies. It happens in how you forgive people who hurt you. Jesus says, forgive as you have been forgiven. You give sacrificially to bless others out of gratitude for what Christ has done for you on the cross. You offer him what little you have. You offer him your time. You offer him your, your talents, your gifts, your abilities. You offer him your treasures, your, your money, your stuff, the, the things that, that you, you have. And you make it your life's mission with everything that you are, everything that you have, and everything that you hope to be to point people to Jesus. 
And as you do, you become part of Christ's kingdom movement. You become a a revolutionary. It'll mean that you lose power in order to bless by serving others. Again, the way up is to grab a towel. It's to grab a brush. It's to grab the hoover. Uh, The way up is to bless others by serving them. Just like your servant king gave everything up for you, but we now do it to point people to him. We do it through word, through what we tell people about him as we share the good news that we have received. We do it by deed as we go out and bless others with what we have and who we are. And we do it through works as like his friends who have gone on before us. Go out and proclaim the kingdom and then demonstrate the kingdom as We see people being healed, people being saved, people being set free. But we do it all to point people to Jesus because we've come to know that he alone is able to give us the life that we've always wanted, life in all of its fullness, life the way it's always meant to be. Friends, do you know that life? Have you experienced that life at work in you yourself? Have you put your trust in Jesus, the one who himself was broken so that you could be made whole? If you haven't, can I encourage you, let today be that day that you receive the gift on offer before us now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice of all time, made on that cross, his body broken so that we could be made whole. We thank you that our salvation is only by grace, only by what he has done there for us, and we receive that in faith. Father, help us to believe with what little faith we can muster today. Help us to put our trust in Jesus. And as we look to him today, may we know life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen.